thank you for your presence in this house. Thank you, Father God, for the experience that we have tonight, Father God, with your presence, with your power, with your spirit, Lord God. And we ask that you have your way tonight. And Lord, we thank you for speaking to every one of us here, Father God, because we all are here to hear from you. Give us a word, Father God, a timely word that will encourage us, that will strengthen us, that will deliver us, that will bring clarity and understanding of your perfect will for our lives. And Father, we come expecting, we come hungry, Father God. So we thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen and amen. Well, I'd like to start off by first sharing a story, as I like to do uh, before uh, getting into my message. Now, I shared this story with our staff during our time of devotion. Um, but I really felt led to really share this story because I think it goes nicely into the message for tonight. But the story is about a little boy who went to the grocery store with his mother. And uh, they went in there, they did their shopping and, and finished their shopping, and they went to the checkout line to check out all their items. And as they got to the checkout line, the cashier was there with a jar of candy, and he, and he asked the mother if it was okay if he gave candy to her son. And the mother said, Sure. So the, the, the cashier took the jar of candy and extended it out to the boy so that he can get some. And the boy shook his head and said, no. He says, okay. So the, the cashier extended his arm even further with the jar of candy, encouraging him to take as much as he want. But the little boy still said no. So he was a little bit confused here because, I mean, what kid denies candy or turns down candy? So he made one last attempt as he stretched out his hand with the jar of candy, and this time the boy responded, you give me some. You give it to me. So the cashier says, okay. So he grabbed a handful of candy and gave it to the boy, and that was it. So the mother and the boy went to their car, and as they were driving home, the mother curiously asked the boy, why did you say no to candy? And why did you say to the guy to give you the candy? And the boy said to his mother, because mama, the man had, his hands were bigger than mine. <laughs> you see, the boy was pretty smart. Because he knew that the hand of the source was bigger. Now, this is where so many of us miss it. Because we fail to understand that God has so much more to give us. So much more to offer us. And we deny him. Not believing that God has more than enough for every one of us. And tonight I want to talk about the goodness of God. How many of us have heard the expression, and I know the answer. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. How many of you have ever said that? Every one of us. But do you really know what that means? When you say that God is good, do you really know what you're saying? Do we really know how good God really is? Tonight, I'm hoping to answer that question. Because we're going to talk about what is the goodness of God. We're also going to talk about how good God is. And if we have time tonight... We look at some examples in the Bible about his goodness. So that when you leave here tonight, when you say God is good, you know exactly what you're saying because you know what it means because you know and understand the goodness of God. 
And all throughout the Bible, we read about his goodness. So let's talk about the goodness of God. We know that God is good. And we understand that God has done so many things for us. We can all testify of how many things God has done for us. If I was to ask every one of you, I'm sure that every one of you has something to say about how good God has been in your life. But understand that this, his goodness or, or the fact that he does so many good things, because listen, understand, it's wonderful when God answers our prayers. It's great that God can deliver us from things. It's great when we know that God gives us a timely word at the time when we need it. And it's so wonderful to know that God can meet our needs at the time that we need it. But his goodness doesn't start and end there. Let me say that again. His goodness does not start and end there. Go to Psalm 119. God is not just good because of what he does. God is good because of who he is. Amen. I like the way the psalmist defines the goodness of God. He simply says this. You are good and you do good. That's Psalm 119 and verse 68. That's simple. You are good and do good. In other words, what he's saying is this. Good is who God is. Good is what God does. Let me say that again. Good is who God is. And good is what God does. So the message translation says it like this. You are good and the source of good. So just like the devil is the author of everything that is evil. God is the author of everything that is good. So the Bible just doesn't mention all of the good things that God does, but it mentions how good God is. Go to Matthew chapter 19. God is good in everything that he does. His justice is good. His faithfulness is good. His love is good. All of God's attributes are good. In Matthew chapter 19... The Bible itself testifies that God is good. In Matthew 19 and verse 16, the story goes where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks Jesus this question. He says, good master or good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus responds to the rich young ruler and says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. It's interesting how God respond, Jesus responds to the rich young ruler because he says, no one is good but one, and that is God. So even Jesus testifies that God is good. Let me give you another verse of scripture. It's not in the list up there, but uh, just bear with me. Psalm 107 in verse 1, the psalmist tells us to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Even the prophet Nahum in chapter 1 and verse 7 declares that the Lord is good. So the Bible, and of course I don't have time to go into all of the Bible and all the scriptures to say that God is good. But even if Jesus was the only one that said that God is good, that's all the reference that you need. Amen. <laughs> so go to Psalm 145. Hallelujah. God is good. Psalm 145 and verse 9 says this, The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. So not only is God good, but he's also good to all. 
In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, Jesus says that God shines upon the, the evil and the good. And God sends rains to the just as well as to, uh, to the unjust, which means that God is good to every man. We know this because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So God is good to all. Malachi chapter 3. Well, let me just, um, let me slow down here. So it's not just what God does, it's who he is. And who he is never changes. So when we talk about God is good all the time, what we're saying is God is good because he never changes. Go to uh, Malachi, well you don't have to go there, but let me just say this. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. You can also say like this, I am good and I change not. And you're not even messing with the scriptures because God is good and good is God. Amen. So, because God's goodness never changes, that means that he's always good. Today, tomorrow, yesterday, next week, and forever. Go to Psalm 52. God's good not only does not change. But God's, good is also, God's goodness is also constant. In Psalm 52 and verse 1, says this, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures what? Continually. What does that mean? Constantly. In other words, God's goodness doesn't end. His, his goodness continues from sunup to sundown to the next day, and the next day after that, until eternity. So God is not sometimes good. In other words, God is not good today, and then good tomorrow, and not good next week. God is not sometimes merciful. That would go against the word of God, because the Bible says that God's mercy endures forever. So he's not merciful today, and then tomorrow decides not to be merciful. Because the scripture also says that his mercies are new, what? Every morning. So God's goodness, God's mercy, God's faithfulness is not sometimes today and not tomorrow. But, it, but his goodness, his mercy, and his faithfulness and all of his attributes are eternal, are infinite. Do you know what infinite means? It means unlimited. It means boundless. It means immeasurable. God is good all the time because his goodness doesn't change. And his goodness is constant. In the Old Testament, when you see the word goodness, in most cases, it, it means good in the widest sense of the word. That means that God is absolutely good. He is extremely good. You can say also that God is good to the farthest extreme possible. Think of the greatest good, uh, good that God can do in your life. And God's goodness is greater still. So you can't, God's goodness is so infinite, so boundless, so immeasurable. That nothing's better than that. How can you perfect what's already perfect? You can't get any better than that. 
I'm trying to get you to understand when you say God is good, I want you to know why you're saying it and what that really means. So when we say that God is good, he, he is absolutely good, extremely good, good to the farthest extreme possible. So when we talk about the goodness of God, everything that he is, it's everything that he has. And it's everything that he desires to do for us. I heard a preacher once say this, make this statement. He says, the closer we are to God, the closer we are to goodness. It reminds me of a verse in James chapter 4 and verse 8 where it says, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. You can also say it like this, draw nigh unto goodness and goodness will draw nigh unto you. Amen. If you want to get closer to the goodness of God, all you have to do is draw closer to him. Draw closer to the very source of all goodness. God is good because good is God. Now go to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to show you another verse that I think best defines the goodness of God. And I want to read that to you from the Amplified Version. If we can have that up on the screen. Now to him who, by or in consequence of the action of his power that is at work within us, is able to, now the word able is a very important word because it, it describes God's ability to do, is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. We're talking about the ability of God that is infinite and immeasurable. God's ability to do is unlimited. So when we talk about his goodness, his goodness or his ability to do good is also immeasurable, unlimited, and boundless. And you have to understand something. God desires to do good in your life. And when he does good, he's very good at it. When we look in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that after every day, each day, that he created something. At the end of the day, he looked and he said it was good. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, when he finally created everything and finished all of his work, he made one last assessment, looked at everything that he made, and he said it wasn't good, but the Bible says it was very good. So God was satisfied with his work. That tells me that whatever God does, he's good at it. So when we expect God to be good in our lives, you can be sure that he's going to be very good at what he does when it comes to expressing his goodness in your life. Another example is in the second chapter of, of Genesis that when God created all the heavens and the earth, now he was ready to create man. And the Bible says that God created man from the dust of the earth, shaped and formed man, breathed into him the breath of life, and then he became a living soul. And everything that man needed, God, he had. God put him in the garden, gave him responsibility. And Adam was not a man who had wants or needs because everything that he needed was available. So God had placed him in an environment that was suitable for Adam. Now we know that whatever God does, he does good. We saw that in Genesis chapter 1 when he created the heavens and the earth. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he saw something that was not good. 
He looked at man, and with all that man has, all that has been made available to man, and most important of all, man had an up-close and personal relationship with God. What more can you want? But yet God saw that there was still something not good. When he looked at man in Genesis 2 verse 18, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So what did God do? God, who is a good God, and everything that he does is good, came up with a good idea. That idea was a very God idea because he made woman. And woman is part of God's goodness to man. Ladies, do you agree with that? Husbands, I want you to turn to your wives and I want you to say these words. You are such a God idea. Okay, man, I'm going to give you another chance to say this because when you say it, don't look at me. It's not going to do you any good talking to me about it. Turn to your wives and say, you are such a God idea. You are such a God idea. And to, to prove to you <clears throat> that woman was a God idea. In the book of Proverbs, it says, he that finds a wife finds a what? Good thing. Not only that, but he finds favor. He obtains favor. So when God made woman, God knew exactly what he, what he was doing. Because what God does, he does good. And women, you are good. Because you're a God idea. Amen. Praise the Lord. Man, I'm giving you a chance to score some points here tonight. I want you to turn to your wives and say this. You're such a good thing. All right. So we know that God, when we say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, we know that God's goodness is, never changes. We know that God's goodness is constant, constantly continuous. But God's goodness is also abundant. Go to Psalm chapter 31. Good is who God is, and good is what God does. Not only is God a good God, but he is a, his goodness is abundant. In Psalm 31, in verse 19, the psalmist says, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. You have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. Now, the word great here in the Hebrew really means abundant or exceedingly. So the psalmist is saying, oh, how great or how abundant or how exceedingly is your goodness. Then it goes on to say that you have laid up. The word laid up means to store. Now that tells me that God has such an abundance of goodness that he's actually has some stored away for those who fear him. God has such an abundance of goodness stored up for us, ready to be distributed and ready to be provided for us. Man, I tell you, if, if we can get a hold of that. God has plenty of goodness to go around. There's a story that goes where mankind had been breathing oxygen since the beginning of time. 
And since that time, billions of people have come through, breathed up all this oxygen, oxygen, and then eventually died. Now, there are six and a half billion people on this earth today. They're about the same that have come and gone since that time. So, literally, in the history of mankind, 13 billion people have lived. Yet, no one seems to be complaining about the oxygen that we breathe. Nobody seems to be worried about running out of oxygen. Now, we can worry about the quality of the air that we breathe, but certainly no one is complaining about the amount of oxygen that we breathe. My point here is this. God is more than enough. God has so much more than enough. Fishes have been swimming since the beginning of time. Even today, we have more than enough fish. Right, Tony? Because if that were the case, Tony would be out of a job. Now, I know this for a fact because several weeks ago, me and a couple of friends, we pulled out 50 catfish out of one pond. And last summer, we pulled out between me and my son-in-law between 25 and 30. Before that, we pulled another 20-something fish. So I know that there's fish in the pond. My point here is this. God has instilled or, or created his goodness in such a way that it's able to reproduce itself so that there'll always be more than enough goodness to go around. So we should never worry about God's goodness running out on you. Because it's always going to be available to you. I look at the goodness of God like a big umbrella hanging over our heads wherever we go. That means that it's always available, it's always present, and it's always abundant. Wherever you go, the goodness of God is there. Go to Psalm 34. Let's talk about how good God is. <clears throat> how good is God? God is so good all the time, and all the time God is good, which means that because God is good, his goodness never changes. His goodness never runs out, and his goodness is always abundant. His goodness is always continuous and constant. In Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Notice it didn't say, Oh, taste and see if the Lord is good. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, he's not saying to come and taste something that you may or may not like. What he's saying is taste and see and know that God truly is good. Now, if you're ever going to know if something is good, you have to try it. Now, I've been trying to get my wife to eat some hot sauce because I know she's going to like it. Once you get past the tongue, you know, being numbed a little bit, but, but I know she'll like it once you get past that. No, I'm only kidding. But my wife, for the longest time, trying to get me to eat eggplant lasagna. Is that what it was? Eggplant lasagna, right? Now, I don't know who in the right mind would put eggplant in lasagna. But for the longest time, my wife tried to get me to eat it. And I would say, no, I didn't want to try it. I would even imagine what it was like in my mouth. So one day we had a, a couple's night, and we had an Italian buffet. Guess what was in the buffet? 
you got eggplant lasagna. And so my wife and I, we were there, we enjoyed ourselves, but we stayed behind to help clean up. And people were taking food and because there was so much. And my wife took a plate of eggplant and insisted that I try it. I said, honey, it's good, try it, you'll like it, try it. She didn't say if you're going to, she said you will like it. So in order for us to try something, we have to take a step of faith. We've got to trust. I trusted my wife because she was insistent that it was good. And so I tried it, and I did not like it. I'm not finished. I loved it. But I never would have known if I did not try it and tasted it. When the psalmist is telling us, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's inviting us to come and try him because he is good. God wants us to experience his goodness every day of our lives, but we've got to step out in faith and try him. Amen. Go to Psalm 84. We need to believe that God loves us so much that he wants to do good things in our lives every day. In Psalm 84, verse 11, it says this, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. And this is my favorite part. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God will not hold back anything that is good towards us. And here's further proof of that. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. In verse 32. Says this. He who did not spare his own son. Or did not withhold his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things. So it is clear that God wants to give us his goodness. It is clear that God does not want to withhold anything that is good. Now go to Psalm 107. God has some good things in store for us and in our lives that he will not withhold. Think about that. It's coming home knowing that there's goodness uh, there for you to, to enjoy and to receive. Psalm 107. Verse 8 says this, all that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with what? With goodness. What are your hearts hungering for? Because whatever it is, God is ready to fill it. God wants to fill it. Go to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. One of my favorite books in the Bible. I'm still talking about how good God is. In Nehemiah chapter 9, Ezra the high priest began to talk about all of the history of, of God's people. From the time they were released from Egypt to the time they wandered into the wilderness. And from the time they crossed the river Jordan into the promised land. And he began to talk about the results when they crossed the promised land. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 25 says this. And they took strong cities and a rich land 
and possess houses full of all goods. Now imagine getting a house for free, fully furnished with all the modern appliances, all modern furniture and everything else that you need. All you need to do is simply move in. That's what they were experiencing. He says houses that were full of all goods, cisterns or wells that had already been dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So that means they don't even have to grow anything because everything was already there and ready to be harvested. And the Bible goes on to say, and so they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great or abundant goodness. That's what God wants for us. That's how he wants us to enjoy his goodness. Amen. So as as I said before, his goodness is like an umbrella hanging over our heads, always present, always available, and always abundant. Now go to John chapter 8. Let's look at some examples of his goodness. This is probably one of my favorite um, stories in the Bible. John chapter 8. You know the story. This is where the scribes and the Pharisees caught a woman in the very act of adultery. And they grabbed her and brought her before Jesus. Now, of course, their motive was to try to set Jesus up so they can find something to accuse him of. And they were probably going to stone the lady anyways. So here she is. She was brought before uh, Jesus and, and, and publicly humiliated, exposed. And now everybody knows what her business. And they asked Jesus... In the laws of Moses, first of all, they told Jesus what the law of Moses said, as if Jesus didn't know what it said. He says, in the law of Moses, those who are caught in adultery are to be stoned to death because it was a capital punishment. And, of course, if you got caught, that's what happens. You get stoned. And they asked, what would you do? Or what do you say? And, of course, the story goes, Jesus didn't say anything. He kneeled down, started writing on the dirt. And they kept asking, Lord, what do you say, Jesus? Tell me, what, what, do you, what would you say? She's completely ignoring him. Then he finally got up and asked a question. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the Bible says that every one of them was convicted because not one of them could say they were without sin. So each one of them slowly dropped their rock one by one and began to walk away. Starting with the eldest to the youngest. And the only one that was remaining was Jesus and the adulterous woman. Now, the men who were witnesses to this adultery did not have the authority or the right to judge anybody when it comes to sin. The only one that had the authority and the right to judge anyone was Jesus. Because he was without sin. And if he would have judged the woman, according to the law of Moses, he could have stoned that woman himself and condemned her. And it would have been a righteous judgment because he's righteous. But Jesus chose not to condemn the woman. He asked the question, woman, where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? And the woman says, no, no man. That's because no man can condemn anyone. Because if we continue in our sins, we're all condemned. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. How many times have we let God down? How many times have we disappointed him? How many times have we did things that deserve punishment, but yet God withhold the punishment that you deserved? When we talk about the goodness of God, we're talking about his mercy. Because mercy is not giving us what we deserve. And I love what Jesus did because he was in the right position to condemn this woman because of what she did. Because the wages of sin is death. But Jesus, in his goodness and in his mercy, refused and chose to extend mercy and grace to the woman. Giving her a second chance. That's what God has done with us. He sent his son to take our sins upon him, upon himself. Because we who are deserving of punishment... He withheld the punishment and used Jesus as the scapegoat for our sins. You want to talk about the goodness of God? That. God is good. God is good. Go to Matthew chapter 20. Jesus here teaches us A parable. In Genesis, I mean Matthew chapter 20 verse 1, Jesus says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now we don't have time to get into all of the verses. But he goes on to say that he hired these these laborers, sat down with them and agreed on the wages for the day. Once they agreed, they went into the vineyard and began working. But the landowner continued going out on the third hour, in the sixth hour, in the ninth hour, and even the final eleventh hour, hiring more people and more laborers. Now, at the end of the day, the landowner had all of them come up and line up to receive their pay. Starting from the last person that got hired to the all the way down. So, by the time it was all said and done... Every person, every laborer received the same wage. Now, this caused some problems with those that had been working there since this morning, that morning. Because they were walking, working longer and hotter and under a hot sun. Where the last person was only working for an hour towards the end of the day where the sun wasn't so hot. But yet, the person that worked for an hour received the same wage as the guy or the guys that had worked all day. And so this, they began to kick up a fuss. They began to file a grievance. They wanted to fight it all the way to arbitration. Because they felt that it was not fair for the guy that worked for only one hour to receive the same ways that they did. They didn't think that they were, he was deserving of a full day's pay. They didn't deserve it, according to the laborers. Now, I want you to look down to verse 13. This is the landowner responding to these laborers. Verse 13, it says, But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Which is the pay they uh, both agreed upon. Verse 14 says, Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give, uh, this is what I love. I wish to give to this last man 
the same as to you. In other words, it was the owner who decided to give that amount to the last guy. Verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? You see, in this parable, the landowner is God. Now, the landowner could have withhold some of that money and save some money, put some money in his pocket. But he chose to give the same wage to that last person who put in an hour as everyone else. When I was looking at this, I saw something. Because it's a parable of the kingdom of heaven. And when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, deserving has nothing to do with it. I said, deserving has nothing to do with it. Romans 5, 8 says this, while we were yet sinners, undeserving, Christ died for us. You want to talk about how good God is? He withhold the punishment that you and I deserved and extended mercy and grace and allowed us entrance into the kingdom through his son. Let me end with this last story. There's a classroom at a college called Annabel LaGrange College. That's in Missouri. And this was back in 2002. It was a day of the final exams. And some of you know what kind of day that is. Cramming for, you know, for exams. And I mean, it was a very stressful day. But this particular class were preparing for a final exam. And this woman, this young lady by the name of Denise Banderman, who was one of the students, walked into her classroom minutes before the professor came in. And like all the other students in that classroom, they were cramming for, you know, this last minute cramming for this exam. So the professor finally comes in. But before we got, they got into the exam, he started doing a review, like some professors would do, which is helpful sometimes. And, he, and the first part of the, the review was very familiar to, to the students. But then there was some stuff that he was saying that the students don't remember him speaking or, or talking about during class time. And so this caused a little panic in them. And the professor, hearing the murmuring, said, this is in your textbook. You don't want to hear that. And he says, and you are responsible for the content in the exam. So now it was time for them to take the exam. And so every student took their pen, turned over their test. And I want to read to you the words of this woman when she saw her test paper. This is what she said. In her own words, she says, I couldn't believe it. To my astonishment, every answer on the test was filled in. Even my name was written on the exam in red ink. Now, it wasn't just her, but every member in that class also had the same experience. And they were all sitting there not knowing what to do, looking at their exam, already answered, with their names even on the exam, and looking around, not knowing what to do or what to say. In the bottom of the last page of the exam was a note that was written by the professor. This is what the note said. All the answers on your test are correct. You'll receive an A on the final exam. 
The reason you passed the test is because the creator of the test took it for you. All the work you did in preparation for this test did not help you get the A. Now, whether the students were deserving or not didn't really matter. The professor chose to do the test for them so that they can all get A's. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. Doesn't that remind you of God who sent his son in our stead to take our punishment that we deserve? We talk about God's goodness. When you say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, you remember what he did for you. Remember that his goodness never changes. That his goodness is continuous and constant. And that his goodness is abundant. And it's all stored up for you and I. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father God, for your goodness and mercy. Your word tells us, Father God, in Psalm 23, verse 6, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And so, Father, we thank you. We are so grateful, Father God. And Lord, we thank you that every day of our lives we can experience and enjoy your goodness in every area of our lives. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for being so good to us. We thank you that you're such a good God. We thank you, Father God, for continuing to express your goodness in our lives personally. Thank you, Father God, that we can pull down goodness because we know that you have it stored up for us. Thank you for not withholding anything that is good. Thank you, my God, for your generosity. Thank you for your faithfulness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.